I know you have heard this before. Work smarter, not harder. Ford has heard it too. That's why the Ford F-150 truck helps you get the job done in the smartest way possible. I mean, the pro-access tailgate alone is a game changer. It improves access to the bed and cargo, which makes it easier to load in tight spaces. See? Smarter. It's also got a mobile power source and pro power on board, so you can power up to 7.2 kilowatts outside your F-150 truck. That is definitely working smarter. And imagine what you can do with that power at your next tailgate party. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Talk is Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. This is the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And after a great couple of weeks with some amazing rock and roll stories to be told, including all the guys from Avenge Sevenfold and Alice Cooper, we're going to make a return to wrestling this week with one of the classic legendary uh, characters in the business that I grew up watching. I'm talking about Jim the Anvil Neidhart. He makes his talk as Jericho debut, a rare interview from Jim Neidhart, along with his son-in-law, Tyson Kidd. Uh, Jim was backstage when the Montreal Screwjob went down, and in the locker room with Bret Hart when Vince came in to talk right afterwards, you hear his side of the story. He's also talking about tag team with Bret and the Hart Foundation, training in the dungeon with Bret's father, Stu Hart, the Calgary wrestling scene and style, how he ended up there after growing up in Southern California, and of course, his famous uh, fanny pack, where he still finds them in this day and age. Tyson Kidd talking about the scary neck injury he suffered in the ring, how he managed to evade a uh, very serious injury he suffered the same neck injury that christopher reeve did but tyson aka tj miraculously survived recovered and is walking around and and, uh, getting physical and still making his recovery but what are the odds of that he beat the odds we talk all about that and speaking of odds i'm sure uh, my friends at betdsi.com could come up with all sorts of odds and ways you can win cash by betting on whatever you want and the reason why is you can trust betdsi because they've been around for over 20 years they're safe they're legit they build a reputation on payment of winnings they pay out fast and easy you can bet on the nfl college football the ufc hockey basketball any major sporting event you can bet on reality tv shows pop culture events and if you use my promo code jericho 25 at betdsi.com that's jericho and the number 25 with no space you'll get 25 dollars free just to try the service come on Play and win on Bet DSI's dime. Doesn't get any better or easier than that. You can place a player versus player bet, or you can even do a fantasy matchup, or you can just straight wager on games. Whatever you do, be sure to use my promo code Jericho25. That's Jericho and the number 25, no space, to get $25 for free to try this service. They're also offering a 100% bonus on your first deposit. All you got to do, man, is go to BetDSI.com now. That's BetDSI.com. Use the promo code Jericho25. That's Jericho and the number 25 with no space, and you get $25 free just to try the service. All right, I'm coming at you live right now. 
right here from Berlin, Germany, right in the middle of uh, these uh, long, long international tours that we have here in um, uh, in Germany, England, Scotland. We were at uh, France. Austria. So, uh, and the reason why these tours are always so monumental in November, because like I said, they're always long, they're always rewarding, but, uh, also always seems to fall, uh, during my birthday. And today is my birthday. And that's just a shameless plug to talk about my birthdays. But today I am 46 years old here in Berlin, Germany. Talk about, uh, Bowie's Berlin years. Well, these are Jericho's Berlin years, uh, AKA the birthday that I have here in Berlin, uh, today. November 9th. I was born in 1970, so I am 46 years old. And so I'm trying to think of some of my favorite birthday memories. Um, obviously, uh, coming over here quite a bit, my favorite uh, WWE birthday memory is we were in Sheffield, England, November 9th. I believe it was 2009, let's say. And I worked with The Undertaker on SmackDown. And I'd gone out the night before and just had a couple uh, couple cocktails, a couple drinky winkies. And when I showed up that day at SmackDown, I went right up into an office and just kind of fell asleep on a couch in the dark. I was really, uh, really a little bit hungsky, shall we say. And I uh, kind of uh, set my alarm and I got a couple hours sleep, then went downstairs and found The Undertaker. And we worked a singles match, the first time we ever worked a singles match on that SmackDown on my birthday. And we tore it up. It was, it was a great, great match. I put it on my DVD. I think I might have had one other single match with The Undertaker, but this one was the first one. Uh, it was the best one. It, whatever a five-star match may be, it definitely was that. And it was so cool to be in the ring with him, especially on my birthday, especially when I was so hungover. But you put that aside, and you get to work. Sometimes you, you do some things. You have a little partying going on. But uh, when it's time to get down and make the donuts, you got to make them donuts. So uh, another uh, great birthday was my 40th birthday when I went to Turks and Caicos with Despiwi and Ribo and uh, Lenny uh, St. Clair was there with us, Lenny Olson. Dr. Luther, his brother Ajax, had a great, great crew, wise cousin Chad, how's it going, Todd, and all of our uh, wives and significant others. It was a great 40th birthday. Flew everybody over to Turks and Caicos uh, in, a, in a private plane that I rented, uh, I splurged, and we ended up uh, right in the middle of a hurricane, as a matter of fact. As I was born in a crossfire hurricane, and uh, that was a good one. And another good birthday I can remember is way back in 1994. I was working in Japan and in Mexico, and it was my steady jobs, and I wanted to see how long I could stay on the road for. So what I would do is I would I didn't really have a house or an address. I was living uh, with Lenny, once again, and his brother Lonnie in Vancouver. So I was just kind of using their address, uh, kind of bumming a, a couch. I think they had a, a futon, little mattress thing whenever I was in town. But I wasn't really in town all that much because I wanted to see how long I could stay on the road. I believe it was like three and a half months or something because what I would do is I had a full-time job in Mexico because they worked all the time. And whenever there was a Japanese tour, I would fly from Mexico to Japan and do the two or three weeks with, with WAR, Wrestling and Romance. I was uh, I was the romance part probably, and um, so the, the the longest birthday I ever had is I, I was in Japan, and it was my birthday. I just won the. Uh the uh, NWA middleweight title from Ultimo Dragon on November 8th, I believe, in, in Japan. Then flew all the way from Japan back to Mexico and landed in Mexico the day bef uh, before I took off. You know, you take off at like at 12 noon on uh, November 9th and landed in Mexico like at 11.30 in the morning, November 9th. So it was actually like a 48-hour birthday. And I don't think I even really did anything, but um, it was a long birthday. I think if you're a kid, you'd be like, oh, that's so cool. You had a two-day birthday, but I guess mostly on a plane and probably middle seat smoking economy class at the time wasn't really uh, the baller that I am now and then another birthday it was my 16th birthday I got a pack of bass strings 
for my birthday, like bass guitar strings, because they're really expensive. They're like 40 or 50 bucks a pack. And of course, when you're 16 years old, where do you get 40 or 50 bucks? So that was my birthday present was, um, was a pack of bass strings. And anybody in Winnipeg, Manitoba that grew up in the 80s will know about this. It was the uh, blizzard, the famous blizzard of 1986 that happened right on my birthday. And everything was shut down. And my, all my, I had all these birthday plans that all got canceled. And we ended up uh, getting kind of, um, we walked up, I lived on, on Wordsworth Way and you could walk probably, I don't know, let's say a mile up to the big main drag of Portage Avenue. And that's where we walked up to go eat dinner at, uh, at the pizza place is what it was called. I had a couple friends coming. We, I think we trudged up there. I think we maybe even borrowed somebody's snowmobile to give us kind of rides. So I did have my birthday dinner uh, at the pizza place. And I remember the next day I took a bus downtown and bought a wasp inside the electric circus. <laughs> For that, I bought that with my birthday money. So some great birthday memories. And uh, thanks to all of you who have reached out via the Twitter and uh, all other social medias on Facebook and Instagram, et cetera, et cetera, and wish me a happy birthday. And I appreciate that. You know, it's it's never easy to be away uh, from home on your birthday, but I do it uh, for you guys, and uh, I love what I do. So uh, cheers to everybody, and thank you so much for uh, for being you and for being so supportive of me over the years, and I'm excited to be still in the WWE kicking ass at 46 years old, and I'm excited to bring to you uh, one of the true characters in the wrestling business. I'm talking about Jim the Anvil Neidhart. He's coming up. He is here, and uh, Tyson Kidd as well, so we're going to get rocking. Talk is Jericho. Okay, so we're here uh, at the amazing house of... of I'm, I'm not even going to bother with Tyson Kidd. I'm just going to call you TJ, because I'll yeah. get it wrong 100 times anyways. Everybody hits me with both names all the time. Yeah, regardless. so you're, you're now officially TJ, and we got the amazing, legendary Jim the Anvil Neidhart here and I'm really excited to uh, to do this interview, Jim. And it's really cool because you have had a long history in living in Tampa, even though the family was always Calgary-based, right? Uh, yeah. I came down here to Tampa after I worked that territory uh, for Bill Watson, Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And uh, once I got used to living in Florida, I wasn't going to move. <laughs> yeah, I, I get the feeling. But it's hard, too, because like a lot of guys like, uh, like Brett and Owen – and like Lance Storm, they stayed in Calgary and worked in the States. Well, that's, that's where Brett belongs, is back there in Calgary. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> stay there. Yeah. He's like a Calgary guy. Yeah, oh yeah. But you're not from, are you Canadian? No. I beg your pardon. <laughs> <laughs> no, I married a Canadian. <laughs> right, you might as well be at this point. Yeah. But where, where, are, you, where are you from? I'm from uh, Southern, Southern California. Okay. I went to high school in Newport Beach. Gotcha. But living in Florida... Is really really good out here. It's mm -hmm. more reasonable, right? And uh, I don't know how those people in California deal with that traffic. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's too much. Well, it's getting that way, even like up in Calgary too. But out here, you don't have that issue. And also, like I said, the traveling, and it's something that people don't realize, especially when you're talking about how much traveling that we do in the WWE now. But back they, they could never, they would never be able to comprehend it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Especially back in your time in the WWE, when you guys, when people say nowadays, "Oh, we're on the road, 250 days a year, whatever," you literally were on the road. Like, what was your schedule when you were working with the Heart Foundation when you guys were hot? Oh. The schedule is just basically you're working every day and you might get one day off every, every two or three weeks, maybe. Mm -hmm. But for most part, just like all this, pretty much every day. 
So, but, but, but we would be like, uh, like th- was it 30 days? What was the old schedule? Teach 30 yeah, I, days I, on, one day, yeah, two I days off. Yeah, I think Jim's told me before, right? You just show up at TVs, you get your, your booking sheet, and yeah. your big stack of tickets. It was supposed to be three weeks on, mm-hmm. one week off. Three weeks on, one week off. Well, <laughs> uh, not good. It was just basically four weeks on, and that's it. <laughs> okay. Don't, don't like it too bad. Yeah, what else are you going to do, right? Right. And so they would give you a big stack of airline tickets because this was before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Tickets. So you would get your, 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 your tickets. And I then- saw those tickets, and I used to look at them and then ponder my thoughts. I said, what I'm basically doing is making a huge figure eight around the North American continent. <laughs> Vancouver to Miami, up to New York, and back to L.A. It's like, God almighty. We used to call that, though, we still do call it the Star of David booking, where it's like, boom, <laughs> boom, 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 up to the whole star, you know? Oh, oh my God. Trying to do that travel schedule and actually use your body for a living, extremely hard. But well, we did it, right, Chris? TJ? Well, yeah, we did do it, but that's what I'm saying, like, back in that 80s style. Like, how could you guys work, you know, 30 nights in a row and travel every day and, and training every day. I mean, that must have just been. No wonder a lot of the, a lot of the guys are just crazy, you know, mentally. Oh yeah, I I oh. know. Mike Mike Rotundo told me that's why the Sheik snapped Iron really? Sheik. He he said, uh, "Hey Tyson, nobody did as many days. He's like he did like ninety five days. <laughs> that's good. Wow, <laughs> yeah. that's that ripped off from Harry, of course. Of course, of course. Well, you know, I talking about the Sheik. Sheik would always go. I said, Sheik, look at this schedule. He said, it's too much. He goes. Seriously, Jim? Seriously? I said, yeah. <laughs> Sheik, seriously, this, this schedule is too much. Oh, I see what you mean. <laughs> it and, sounds like, and then away they go. <laughs> yeah, off they go to another month of bookings. So would you be, res- I've always been wondering about this, would you be responsible for that stack of tickets? Did you ever lose lose the tickets or would you ever like I'm sure like did one fall out of your bag or did you have to grab those things and hold them like gold? that's why I got this fanny pack on it never goes anywhere it's <laughs> yeah. on me that, that's got to be why right? no wonder the guys in the 80s the were the passport fanny and the tickets go right here in my fanny pack and that's it there ain't no one's going nowhere <laughs> so you would stick them all in there oh yeah See, that this answers the eternal question of why fanny packs are so popular amongst wrestlers <laughs> in the 80s and 90s. Seriously. I love my fanny pack. <laughs> and if I ever see anybody else walking around with, with a fanny pack on, I had to run over there to them and say, where the hell did you get that fanny pack at? I, I can't find a good one anywhere. Are they getting harder and harder to find? Oh, yeah. I asked this lady in a, in a luggage shop and the Tampa airport. She thought I was crazy or something. <laughs> I said, it's just a little bag you strap onto your waist, you put your stuff in there. It's just, what? What are you talking about? Oh, never mind. So we mentioned how you have a connection with Calgary and the fact that you married, you know, one of the Hart sisters and uh, spent some time in Calgary. How did you end up originally going to, to Stampede and working for Stu? When I was released by the Oakland Raiders in 1979, I was wondering what the hell to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody suggested that... Uh, these guys making money wrestling and doing pretty good. I've never wrestled anybody in my life then. Have you ever Not, watched it? Did you ever watch wrestling at all? Uh, I really didn't like it. Gotcha. I think also Jim was super busy. Shop, he's dedicated a lot of time prior to that to shot put, and he went and competed in Russia in shot put. Okay. And then, and then later on uh, with the Raiders. So I don't think he even... Yeah, right. Wrestling was just something that yeah. was around, but you weren't, you weren't into it or anything like that. So... When someone suggested it to you, what were you thinking? 
I couldn't believe it. <laughs> you know, I was like, well, I've never seen it before. Uh, me on TV a little bit, Channel 5 out in Los Angeles. And I didn't really know exactly what I was getting into. So why why Calgary? I mean, you're in, in SoCal. That's another good question, Chris. Why <laughs> still, we're, we're still wondering the answer. <laughs> going from Southern California, Newport Beach, 70-degree weather all year long, That's sunny, right. beautiful, to go to Calgary. <laughs> all that snow and... Yeah. So how, how did that come out? Because you mentioned that you watched it on Channel 5. Why didn't you just go up the road and see like the LaBelles or Roy Shire or one of those guys? Why go all the way to, to Canada to work uh, the The Bells, I saw Gene LaBelle, and I was inquiring how, you know, just exactly how do I do this? You know, how do we get in the business? And so Gene LaBelle called uh, Stu, and uh, they arranged that to me to go up there and learn. It was a good place to to learn just like yourself you know right right all so, those calgary guys end up doing pretty good so that was kind of the standard like if you go train with Stu, they knew you'd have a good good training is that kind of the idea yeah to train with Stu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean jim's jim's actually hands-on trained by Stu himself wow because by the time i got in there was so you that was <laughs> you're looking about 80 so i was about 90 so Stu at that point was over training he was he was he was done training he was very old at that point but you actually had the hands-on Stu Hart wizard uh so so what kind of what kind of stuff would he do with you oh he was really sneaky <laughs> um, I go, down, go down to his basement I'm waiting for him to come down all of a sudden like I see this old man coming down the stairs who is this guy hmm. with a uh, bare feet and like a little itty bitty pair of underwear on or something I said, oh, my God, he can wrestle in that shit? Oh, my God, I wasn't. <laughs> so he put in those submission holds by Stu Hart. It was a real eye-opener. Well, because he must have loved you, because Stu was always, he loved big guys. You know, he would always grab. Strong, right? Grab and your arm. What he'd do is he put you in a submission hold, mm-hmm. and uh, he, he'd crank on you a little bit and get you to squeal. And then he'd go from one submission to another submission yeah. to the leg submission. God almighty. So you're walking out of that after this, you know, this old man is just beating the hell out of you. Did you... Uh, we locked up for, uh, for a good half hour, an hour, just locked him. He, he was just bullying around with me in, in the basement, back and forth, like, you know, wear me out or some shit. Stu wanted Jim to kind of push him around and maybe tire himself out a little bit first. So they're down there for like an, an hour of like, first Jim kind of like, you know, bullying Stu right, around right, right. and then Stu... Going into and his demonstration the, of hold, 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 hold. And, and I, I tasted them in 1995, so in 1980, I can't imagine yeah. what it felt like. That's funny. Yeah. What Stu did, once you got in the basement there, he would go, he whispered in my ear, and goes, uh, let, me, let me have you, let me, let me have you. That's what we talk. Uh, <laughs> let me have you. Don't, don't fight it. Let me, I said, what do you mean? You know, so I was basically giving him my body. <laughs> eh, another bad mistake. Right. Well, that's how he would do it, though. He would go, let, let me see your arm. And yeah. then you'd give him your arm, and then he'd put you in some ridiculous hole. It's like, wait a second. You can't be a shooter by someone giving you your arm. Yeah. You know That's what, I mean? what we had to do. Right. Yeah. Uh, take it easy. Let me have you. Let me have you. <laughs> let me have you. <laughs> After the first couple of days, I said, Sue, that shit. Right. Not, no one is going to have me or, you know, <laughs> yeah, you're not having whatever it is. I ain't going out without a fight. Well, because you must have been, I mean, you like I saw you earlier today, when I haven't seen you in a few years, you look pretty much exactly the same. You must have been strong as a bull at that point in time. Oh, to come, off, come out of the Dallas Cowboys and double sessions and shit? Oh, my God. I mean, how much were you weighing then? Ooh, probably around 280. Wow. 
and that's 280 solid. Yeah. You know, solid muscle and a lot of power too. I got down as low as 255 one time. You wouldn't recognize me. <laughs> yeah. So when you first started with Stu, you mentioned like, did you take to, to the training pretty quickly? Um, no, nobody takes that kind of shit, the yeah. training of Stu's. <laughs> You're down there in that basement. Most of the time, it's so damn cold, you can't even stick your nose outside the window. Mm-hmm. And to work with Stu in that horrible, stinky basement. Well, that's the funny thing, too. People talk about the dungeon with such... Uh, you know, such like uh, revered, yeah. revered. <laughs> when you actually see it, it's basically like you said, it's a dingy little basement with a ring that I recall being maybe three or four inches off the ground. It was yeah, a little, more yeah. of a boxing ring than anything, it seemed like. It had a little with no ropes, give. right? Yeah. A wall, right? Three sides of a wall, and one side of nothing. You have to pretend is a rope, pretend is the rope, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it had a little, a little give, didn't DJ? Yeah, a little touch. Like when we actually uh, tore it up when the house was sold. It, the mat would, was so worn down and so thin, and it was over top of, like, uh, these little boards. Right. And it was, like... And not very very high off the ground. Nope, not, not at like all. a normal ring. No, and know. to think, like, man, we've been bumping on this but what, for yeah. Remember, TJ, what the real problem is with that, that basement is, dude. You can't breathe. You can't breathe, and uh, there's a huge pipe oh, yeah. on the ceiling. Ooh. It's about six feet off the ground, so you had to duck through that every time you do something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, basically three three rope sides, one pretend <laughs> side, and a big pipe that you have to duck underneath. And then trying to mess with Stu, you know. Yeah. Oh, so man. did did Stu teach you how to bump as well? Because I know yeah, Bru- was Bruce involved. Bruce Hart uh, Bruce was gave me some professional wrestling advice there. And gotcha, gotcha. And just how you know the Japanese guys showed me how to land flat, right? Cause on your back. There was also always a lot of guys hanging around, you know, Stu's house. Oh, God, every bum in the world was out there. (laughs) (laughs) Did you stay at the house? No, I didn't. Okay. I had lived for a while in the back of Stu's house in that that servant's quarters kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That was real nice. (laughs) Was it? I had Stu at my door every morning looking around and stuff. (laughs) Yeah, looking for what? (laughs) Oh, looking for something, looking for me, looking, you know. (laughs) If I was drinking any beer or doing any shit, you know, you always have one eye open. Oh, yeah? Well, you were kind of his project at that point. Yeah, I think he definitely took a huge liking to Jim right off the bat, and he did instantly become his project. All right, there are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW, and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos. Hey, amigas. See? Already learning. Haha, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW, like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. 
For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. All right, back here with Jim Neidhart and his son-in-law, Tyson Kidd. Uh, Jim, who was your first match against? Oh, I was just hanging around the my house, and all of a sudden, Stu goes, uh, well, hey, why don't you get in the car and come down to the matches? Uh. <laughs> what? <laughs> Let me go to the matches? Oh, it's God. the nerd, Stuart. <laughs> so, you, so you went down? I went down, <laughs> and that's where it all started. Was it in Calgary? or? or? Yeah, at the Calgary Pavilion. Yeah. The old pavilion there. Beautiful place to wrestle. Mm-hmm. Everybody, the whole place had the, a great seat. Right, because the seats kind of went up. Yeah. They, they rose up. A small little stadium effect. It was really, really a good place to wrestle. Do you remember who your first match was against? Oh, yeah. My very first match was against a guy called Duke Myers. Yeah. He was a great guy. I remember uh, Angel Acevedo, the Cuban assassin. Mm-hmm. He had helped me a lot, and that Duke Myers had helped me a lot. Because Duke was a big guy as well. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Uh, Other than that, nobody uh, would say a word. I mean, no, I, get, I wouldn't get any help from anybody. Really? Yep. And so they're kind of, were they try, trying to just knock you into the business you know, the, the right way? Or were they just being rude? Or were they being dicks? Or Well, you know, breaking into this pro wrestling business is not easy mm-hmm. any way you look at it. Right. We've all had some kind of horror, horror stories just breaking into our business, you know? Did you have any? Uh, oh, I had a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear them. What happened? Oh, uh, I can remember Stu Hart coming down those metal steps into the basement, mm-hmm. and uh, he put on these what we call the woolies. Mm-hmm. He put on his woolies every night, which was like a, a little itty bitty uh, bikini type of wrestling thing. Right. It was really small. I said, "Oh my god, I'm not gonna do. I have to grab this guy with it? like, oh, I wasn't counting on this, you know? Right. <laughs> so I had never, I've never wrestled in my life ever. Mm-hmm. Not amateur, nothing. What, did you start out as Jim Neidhart? Was that the name yep. they gave you? Did you? Was it Jim the Anvil Neidhart? The Anvil came after I, was, I got persuaded to be in that Calgary Stampede Rodeo. And uh, I got persnickered to be in, I got invited to uh, throw this 100-pound anvil toss. Like, oh, my God. I'm going to break my back with this thing. This is ridiculous. It's too heavy. Uh-huh. Uh, you should try throwing a 100-pound implement. <laughs> Any, you can do it any way you want to. You can run with it. You can pull it over your back, your head. You can do anything, you know. But uh, if you've ever tried to throw something that weighs 100 pounds, very, very unusual. You should try it sometime. Well, I, yeah, I don't think I can. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's something the average person could do. Well, and I, I bet you, you have you've got really strong hands and wrists. You just got to hold on to the sum of bitch. But it's an anvil. It's an anvil's got a point on one end, and there's a little platform on it. And how? What do you? You kind of scoop it a little bit. Are you doing like a shot? But do you turn around? Uh, no, I try that. that. Nothing was working except either you can hold on to your shoulders and take a little running start mm-hmm. and throw it off the top of your shoulders, or you can like put it between your legs and try to throw it over your back and shit. Okay. No matter what I did, it was the same distance. How far were you throwing it? Oh, over 100 pounds. Mm-hmm. 
But what are you throwing it like two feet? Are you throwing it ten feet? How, how like, did you win? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, duh. And everybody and their uncle was out there trying to throw that anvil. All kinds of football players and weightlifters and mm-hmm. hockey players and. Well, but but then this, so that's how you got the name the anvil. That's it. Because I'm basically the official world record holder in the anvil toss you, at the Calgary Stampede. Really? To this yep. day? Yep. Well, that's, yeah. Like, who else is going to yeah. do that? <laughs> who else would want to do it? Yeah. <laughs> but I always heard the stories about how strong you were and how strong you are. I think It's not so much the strength as uh, I was a world-ranked shot putter back then. Yeah. I was high school national champion. And I was about, uh, at one time, I was sixth in the world pre-Montreal Olympics. Okay. I was getting ready to go to the Olympics. All right. But in the United States, you have to qualify like a week before the games. You know, it's like, oh, it's really nuts. So that wasn't something that you were interested in doing? That's why you didn't go to the Olympics? Oh, no. I was plenty interested in it. Mm. I couldn't qualify. I think I'd thrown uh, 65 feet, one and a half inches. And uh, that wasn't good enough. Oh, I got gotcha. you. The United States, we had uh, we had two or three world record holders uh, in men's open shot put. Wow. Okay. So it's like, oh my God, to, to get to make the Olympic team or even get close, I'm going to like break a world record or some shit. Well, the thing is, though, you might not have made the Olympics, but you are the world record anvil tosser in the stampede. Chris, you're absolutely correct one more time. <laughs> so there you go. So you know that's even better. Okay. So so that's how you get Jim the anvil, which I always wanted, which is cool. But also, you talk about Calgary and that in that in that promotion. My mother-in-law, Helen Hart, gave me that name, the Anvil. Oh, did she? Yeah, she was really, uh, she was really quite bright. Uh-huh. And uh, actually, uh, Helen Hart had uh, given quite a few of the wrestlers some of their names. Yeah, I don't know if it's just like family folklore, but supposedly she had a lot to do with Gorgeous George too, the original Gorgeous George. Really? Helen had a lot to do with like um, maybe the music and maybe... The pomp, pomp and circumstance. Yeah, and, and part of his look supposedly was always like, I was always told that ever since I was around the house. Because so many people came through Calgary that can yeah. make sense, right? Yeah. It can make sense. So Helen, gave, what did Helen say to, to call you the anvil? Just because you had won the contest? Yeah, okay. I was looking for a name I didn't want to be Jim the Animal. Were they calling you that for a while? A little bit. Okay. Uh, just a little bit. And then uh, the Anvil just came along perfectly, and Hel- Helen Hart gave me that name. Yeah. And it's been working ever since. <laughs> yeah, it's a great name. I love the fact, too, that it's Neidhart and the Hearts. I mean, it's just, it's like it was meant to be that you'd be involved with the family. And, and oh, that, yeah. You know? Yeah, people get real confused by that. <laughs> I'm sure they do. So tell us about when you started with Stampede on the Road, because you always hear the stories Ooh. about you know driving in the vans and the long trips and all that sort of stuff in the middle oh of the Oh, my God, driving in the van. <laughs> well, this, every week we had to go to Regina. Mm-hmm. 500 miles there, 500 back. And you're in a van with about four or five seats in it, and Stu, Stu Hart crammed so many wrestlers in that thing. <laughs> crammed about 10 or 11 wrestlers were in the same thing. We were just packed in there. Going 500 miles up, yeah, 500 back, and all the beer and everything in between. <laughs> and also, too, uh, sometimes in the in the freezing prairie winters as well. Oh, no kidding, freezing. Did those things ever break down at all? The oh, did they break down? My God. <laughs> uh, if, if you're out there on, and you're on that Trans-Canada Highway, 2 or 3 in the morning, in a bad snow blizzard, Oof. you don't want them to get stuck out there. Mm-hmm. And I think a couple of times our van, it was so cold, the van froze up. While we're driving it. Oh, really? Yeah. The engine engine block actually just froze. Yeah. 
You know, that's something that people down here don't understand, like that you have to plug, plug your, car your car in. in. <laughs> oh, yeah, you don't plug your car in. Forget about it. Yeah. I drove my car down to uh, Knoxville to work for Cornette. And uh, it was a Canadian car, and there was all these, these guys that come up to you all the time going, like, you got a wire hanging out of the front of your car. I'm like, yeah, you got to plug it in. It's like, is it an electric car? It's like, no, if you come from Canada, you got to plug the damn thing in to warm the engine blocker. It just freezes. I'm trying to explain that to people down here, of course. I, like, dro- I drove mine from Calgary, good. so same thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. funny. Who were you working with in, in Stampede at, the, the, at that time? Well, there was Angel Acevedo, the he Cuban assassin. assassin. There were Duke Myers, yeah. uh, Bruce Hart. Wayne Hart was a referee. Keith Hart was another wrestler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brett working there too? Oh, yeah. So you knew Brett from that time as well. Dynamite. Dynamite Kid, Davey Boy Smith. Right. What great chemistry you guys had with those two. Back, oh, God. Well, they were, they were really, really good. You know, yeah. as yourself, you know, we all watch what Dynamite Kid was doing. We try to, I try to copy everything he did, <laughs> the way he did it, you know? Yeah. But you can't. He just, he just had that natural instinct and that style that it's just oh he was so, so good original you know he was so good and everything that dynamite kid did was absolutely perfect form you know mm-hmm. he had a really good mind too for finishes and everything really yeah, oh Brad's yeah always told me that too really did you work with him in stampede a lot with dynamite oh yeah yeah okay. i work with him and david way quite a bit yeah if you're wrestling dynamite kid it's an a great great pleasure it's like a night off mm. he's great Right. Basically, he's doing all the work. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing, though, for a guy your size and a guy his size. Yeah. He just has to run at you and bounce around and that sort of a thing, right? But you're pretty agile, too, for a big guy. Yeah. Oh, Dynamite was way more than just a, a tackle and bump around guy, you know, kind of guy. He, he could wrestle anybody and make it a good match. He, he was really, really polished and really good. See, that's the thing. When you, when you go to Stampede and you talk about how you've never wrestled or, or really knew much about wrestling, you're working with some of the greatest of all time in your early years I mean that's probably how you started uh, learning so quickly and becoming so good so fast well getting really good instruction like that you're learning to wrestle so I'm, I'm practicing in Stu Hart's basement in the, in the ring there and then you get into a, a, a match with a couple other wrestlers and you're just starting out mm-hmm. it's very hard to start out I mean especially starting out on TV match mm. oh my god right well, that's the thing too. I remember my when I started, Stampede had just closed, but there was a little company that was at the Silver Dollar Action Center. Yeah. Oh and, yeah. Uh, yeah. It was his name. I can't remember what his name was that that owned the place. Frank Sisson. Frank Sisson. There you go. That's where you'd watch every pay per view. Frank Sisson. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, you're on TV. You know, and I had maybe ten matches, but you go on TV. It's a whole different. It's a whole different thing. It's very intimidating. Because, oh, yeah. you know, you make a mistake in Rimby, Alberta, who cares, but you do it on TV. So it lives on forever yeah. in, in your mind, right? And everyone's seeing See, it. See, I, I had no problem with wrestling on the TV and everything. What the deal was, what the real sticky thing was, is after your match to go and we did our interviews right after that. Ah. And so you're in the ring still with all your gear and your sweat and everything. And now you got to get on the mic with some, uh, with our broadcaster, Ed Whalen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And do some kind of an interview, and I was so exhausted after that, you know, I could, I could barely uh, get the sweat off me. Yeah, barely breathe. Oh, I could barely breathe, and you know, Waylon, the TV guy, give me all these hard questions and everything. <laughs> right after my match, live on TV, like, oh my god, I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Leave me alone. Heck of an answer. <laughs> That could have been your gimmick. You're just, just—he's just the cranky wrestler. I don't know. Leave me alone. Go away. As a baby face. Yeah. Did you have the beard back then too? The goatee, or the Van Dyke? Actually, if you want to get uh, correct about it. No, 
Okay. Was that something you just grew in the WWE? I think I grew it when I wrestled for Bill Watts in oh. Mid-South Wrestling down there in Louisiana. Okay. I just grew it out there a little bit, and then all of a sudden it got so big. It was such a long beard. It was real, my beard was kind of stiff, too. <laughs> so here I had a flat top. Because I always try to be like uh, Dick the Bruiser a little bit. Oh. Try to get that look that he had with a flat top and all that. Then I threw the, the beard in there on top of the flat top with the sunglasses. This, this is this is different. No one else is doing this. Well, and, and it's funny, too, because, you know, f- you know, you have certain memories from your childhood. And obviously, I grew up as a wrestling fan. I was the TJ, but I'm about, yeah. about 10 years older than you, maybe, or yeah, whatever it is. Well, so I grew up in the Hart Foundation, you know, WWE Bulldogs, and Jim the Anvil Nighthead with the beard. Now... So many guys have long beards. But that time, you were the only yeah. guy in any wrestling or even rock band or whatever that had that long beard. It was your trademark. Which, which scared Harry as a kid. Oh. Harry, <laughs> Harry, Harry was like deathly terror. I mean, also because he probably used Bulldogs Against Heart Foundation oh, on yeah. TV. But Harry as a young kid was deathly afraid of Jim. And a lot of it he thought, when he thinks back to it, was, it had was to do with the beard. beard. <laughs> <laughs> so how was it working for Bill Watts? You talk about, you know, you go from oh, this extreme cold of Calgary to... Yeah, I drove, I, you know, I got all my stuff in my, in my convertible Cadillac and I drove down to Louisiana to work down there. I, when I arrived there, I had to wrestle that night. <laughs> and I was so exhausted. And Bill Watts never gave us a day off in six months. Nothing. Seven days a week. Yep. Four weeks a month for seven months. Yep. Wow. No days off. This is crazy. Here's the thing. Like, we say, oh, it's crazy. That literally, literally is crazy. Like, the, yeah, I can't yeah. imagine. The most I ever did in a row was Hamburg, six weeks, which is, what's seven times six? 42, 42. in a row. This is seven. Wow. <laughs> I don't even know. In Hamburg, you were in the same town every night, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Same, same venue every night. That exactly. was easy. Yeah, a lot easier in traveling. But your, So what was, the, what was the Louisiana Territory? Was it the same seven cities every week? Or was there like... Uh, was New Orleans kind of a, a base, and then you kind well, of pop around? To, yeah, New Orleans is kind of our big base there, and you go to Baton Rouge, mm-hmm. places like Homa. Lake uh, Charles is near Lake there. Charles, Little Rock, Arkansas. Biloxi. And- Biloxi. So how, how do you do seven months <laughs> every day? Like, that's 200. Well, they have, having all that, uh, the stuff that we went through in Calgary, mm-hmm. we'll get in that van, all that shit. Drive through the winter, so maybe it was almost like a day. Oh off, yeah, it was like a day off. This is great. <laughs> you know, we have to we have to do that five hundred mile trip. Like, oh my god! Because I think Calgary at that time was six days a week. It may, may maybe some once in a while seven as well. But it was like Friday was Calgary, Saturday was Edmonton. We might have gotten a Sunday off every now and then. Yeah, really. But maybe just, just physically to go that many days around mentally too. I mean, you're just that that that, that would wear you down, man. I mean, I, I can tell you right. But you now. get used to it. And you just become just as a robot then. Yeah, all so, oh, those Calgary guys, we all had a little edge on anybody because we were uh, brought up in that territory and learned that way. And even like ribs and stuff like that, because I'd always heard like if you, it's like the old Frank Sinatra song, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Talking about Calgary, I'd always heard. Yeah. Like, you know, from, from even from like it was a heavy rib territory as well. Oh yeah, well, like <laughs> driving. Well, that's a rib in itself. <laughs> but I'm talking about the actual guys ribbing you is, is maybe not for you so much, but I heard as time went on, especially Definitely. in the '80s, that it was a really bad kind of a rib area. Well, number one, you have to find some way to uh, pass your, pass the time mm-hmm. in the van. You know, so you know, a few things you can do. Which are <laughs> uh, pulling ribs on everybody, <laughs> especially the new guys. 
Were you were you a rib guy? Did you rib those guys? No, no, not really. Cause not like Davey wear dynamite. <laughs> they were bad, right? They were real bad. What kind of ribs would they pull? Don't fall asleep in the van, for God's sakes. Yeah. You'll wake up with no eyebrows. Or... <laughs> just the dumbest thing in the world. <laughs> yeah. like, what does it even do? Like, it's 30 seconds just going... <laughs> like, that was... I'd always start to, like, putting Crisco on the stairs. Ron Ritchie told me one time they put oh. Crisco on the stairs. So a guy basically, like, slips and falls yeah. down the stairs. They're guaranteed to fall. Like, you're almost dying. Like, there's the rib on you, you know? What we did was a good, was a good little deal... There's a couple guys in the van that weren't very popular. So uh, what we ended up doing is uh, going out and getting two or three large family packs of X-Lax and kind of melting them down a little bit and put them in a, uh, go into Swift Current, put it in a chocolate malt <laughs> and mix it all around it. Real, so put, I had a couple of boxes of X-Lax. Oh so we put in this guy's chocolate shake and go, hey, anybody for a hamburger? You want this chocolate malt here? You know, oh, yeah. So we all watch him drink the chocolate malt to the very last drop. And then we wait. <laughs> we still have about five hours to drive and this all of a sudden whoa we gotta stop stop for a piss call okay five or ten minutes there we got back in the van we gotta stop again our ten seconds our ten minutes this went on for like three hours of going stopping going stopping which goes back to the whole like ribbing yourself to rib it yourself <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, they the, make the five-hour drive into well, a ten-hour What was drive. really odd was the guy that ate all the X-Lax, the only way for him to help was like he, he got outside the van and, and ran backwards. Okay. <laughs> Why he did that, I mean, we don't know, but uh, I said, just keep doing it. You know, I said, that, that'll help. So that's why he did it. <laughs> you know what? There was, do you remember the time that, uh, I think it was Davey, and I think you guys were both doing it, but you guys would put Tiger Balm onto the Visine bottle. So when someone went and got some Visine, they would get the, the Tiger. This is, this is the story. I don't know if you remember this, but Davey Boy did that, and you took the Visine. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> if you don't know what it is, it's really scary. Oh, yeah, no kidding, right? All of a sudden, Basically, a little bit Davey of Tiger Boy, Davey Boy put some Icy Hot on the Visine and left it, and his own brother-in-law was the one who used it and didn't know. Was, you're like, Davey, <laughs> you son of a bitch. Yeah, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen. Your eyes start burning and shit. Was this in WCW? Yeah. Davey must still, have known right Davey. away that it was Davey that did it. Oh, yeah. He must have still tried to blame Owen, though, anyway, even though he's not in WCW at the <laughs> yeah, time. Right. Exactly. The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. So let's talk about, about how you guys all ended up in the WWE because it was Brett and Jim and Davey and Dynamite. You guys went all there basically at the same time from what I remember, 85. Yeah, I think so. it, uh, Brett and I got there at the same time. Mm -hmm. Well, Vince was taking all, all the Calgary guys. There's quite a few, right? Mm -hmm. Like Nikolai Volkov, mm -hmm. you, me. Well, if you're going through the guys that went through there, there's Jake Roberts and there's JYD and Billy Graham. Billy Graham. I mean, but talking from the from that '85. Yeah, period, yeah. You know, there was a lot of guys that came from Calgary. But oh yeah, Harry Vince was taking guys like Junkyard Dog. You know, right, right, right. And Jake Snake Roberts. I think Jim was actually down here wrestling in um, Championship Wrestling from Florida. Is this all had to do though when um, 
when Vince stole or when yeah uh, when he when Stu stole the sold the territory to Vince. to Vince and then I think part of it was that he would at least give them a look his family yeah Brett Davey Jim and Dynamite it, it's funny because like Dynamite was and this is probably Bruce's story not really mine it's just I've heard it so many times but Dynamite was such a hard sell for Bruce to bring him over to Calgary and Bruce had seen him and wanted to bring Dynamite over and talked about... He saw him in England. Yeah, and yeah. was like, I, I need to bring this guy. He's going to change this whole company. And, and he's 180 pounds or something at the time. And Stu is very much the mindset of big guy, you know? Sure. And, uh, and then fast forward a couple of years. And, and even, even in like 2002, Stu's still telling me about Dynamite and how he was the best he'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. And like, so he made a point to like put him out over to Vince. You know what I mean? So like, it's funny that how much it... Sure, dynamite came in like like Jim was saying where they're they're all copying dynamite yeah. and trying to like emulate him and like it just was very revolutionary and so it's funny we, that, we had our own style out there right yeah. TJ yeah the Calgary style definitely the, exists there is a Calgary style I oh yeah said that you have it TJ yeah has it. I have it it's a faster Memphis style mm-hmm. you know and there's it's got elements of Japanese yeah and, uh, and European as well yes no yeah list. no absolutely definitely Europeans got some English English and Japanese work in there. Yes. The Japanese work very fast. Right. Fast up, down, up, down. You know, there's no psychology. It's just one flat thing. But even a little bit of, of lucha as well, because how I got really hooked into wrestling, I, w- I was hooked as a kid. But when I saw Owen in 86 in Stampede Wrestling, they had put together this video called Hearts on Fire. It's a Brian Adams song. And it was an Owen highlight reel. All of his, and I couldn't believe that somebody could do all this stuff, which was very much yeah, kind of almost Mexican and it's, style it's so too. funny. You always told me just a different side note about Owen jumping on like Mugasing's back, and he would oh, <laughs> and he backflip. Yeah. And I always thought it was one of those like wrestling things, like maybe you thought you saw it until this Owen DVD oh, came yeah. out, and I see the highlight. And I, first thing I thought, Chris was one hundred percent right. Yeah. He really did jump off his back and do a backflip and stuck the la- and then right away hit a drop kick. Yeah, exactly. How Chris described <laughs> yeah. it to me. That was just kind of like, like you said, that Calgary style that, that, that was emulated from the guys that came. From. Yeah, here you take some, <laughs> something really wild and bizarre like that that takes a lot of strength and balance. Mm. Uh, doing s- stuff like that after being stuck in that van for eight hours. <laughs> just popping out of that van for eight hours, eight or nine hours. Maybe that was the secret really to get everybody you. really wanting yeah. to work. <laughs> and to the, and going through the snow too. Right. And being so damn cold and then going out there and doing moves like that. Mm-hmm. It was really crazy. Oh, yeah, for sure. But that's how you and me and all those Calgary guys, uh, we had a little edge on everybody. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Because our style was much faster. Mm-hmm. And also, too, I always say, you know, growing up in the cold weather, spending a lot of time up there, it toughens you. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Well, we didn't come out there uh, and end up like uh, some of those southern Memphis, Memphis wrestlers, Tennessee wrestling. <laughs> that real strange type of... yeah. Slow, unbelievable work. <laughs> Water pump spot where you take the guy's arm and you just go like this a bunch of times. Over yeah, which, which I think is what stood out. Like you said earlier, like when they first all came to WWE, it it took a little bit of time. Obviously, you know, like Brett and Jim didn't just team up instantly. The the Bulldogs did, I think, right? Or very close. Dynamite did a few shots here and there. Like yeah, yeah. I've seen a match like Dynamite and Tiger Mask from MSG. Right. So like he did a few random shots, but through Japan, I think. But then when like when they all actually come into WWE in in the mid '80s, yeah, there was a little bit of a style change. Yeah. Well, first of all, how did you and Brett end up being a team? How had they had they had the Heart Foundation? Oh, for I one think, thing, I, I needed was, someone. To, the, yeah. the traveling was so much in New York. I needed someone to drive the car. <laughs> so okay, so you needed a driver. 
But I mean, once again, getting put with, because you mentioned that you doing promos, Brett's promos at the time were very... Brett had never really done any uh, promos up to that time, really. A little bit in Calgary, just a very little bit. Yeah. Right? And kind of the same with, with you, though. You had done some, yeah. but... The... Well, I had worked Mid-South. Okay. And I did a bunch of interviews there. Yeah. But then That the... really helped me. But then also to put you with Jimmy Hart was a really, seemed like a real stroke of genius as well. And the fact is, we've been using him ever since. Yeah. I think Jim might have been originally, I think he was managed by Jimmy Hart first. Okay. Like as a singles. And then I think um, Brett was, he's talked about it where he's supposed to do that cowboy Brett Hart. And Mm -hmm. as like a last, (laughs) I guess he'd been pitching for a while, but as a last ditch thing was like, no, no. Let's just try this team. And then... Um, Brett was getting all ready to wear the cowboy hat and the yeah. vest and the chaps and everything for a wrestling gimmick. Mm-hmm. As the cowboy. Yeah. <laughs> but it, but that was such a great team, though. The Hart Foundation, one of the greatest teams of all time. Oh, Brett was a really, really great partner. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you guys, or at least what I've always seen, they get along great. If they see each other and they haven't seen each other in may, maybe a couple of years, I guess, would be the longest. And, they, and Brett and Jim see each other, they are like right back to like, they, they don't miss a beat. Mm-hmm. A couple old ladies, a couple old gossiping old ladies. <laughs> but that's how it is, though. Like, you guys are together all the time. You see, the, you know, you see Brett and Jimmy more than you were seeing your own family. So you go through the same things, ups and downs. You get pissed off at each other and then give each other a hug. And then, you know, I've always found that when, when you have a team and every night you guys are working together and you're traveling together. It's like being a married couple. Well, I got along really good with Brett. In fact, we still uh, are proud of this little thing where – no matter what happened out there, Brett and I never got in an argument mm. or I disagreed on anything. Really? Yeah. yeah well, we I, ain't time I, for I, it. I've, I've, ne- I've never heard. Of, I never heard of them in any kind of argument or like I just saw Brett last month. I was up in Calgary. Not, same thing. He always has like positive, great stuff to say about Jim. I've never heard of them ever having any kind of dispute at all. Which is which is really rare, actually. Oh yeah, because you, you know it's like having a tag partner. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you guys are going to get in a fight or get upset. Yeah. You know, it's just part of the thing. But and they never had a problem. You guys never once ever got into a... No, we were too experienced of the Calgary stuff. Wow. I think Brett had to that. talk him into the pink, though. Oh, yeah. How did the pink come about? Uh, well, we were trying back. to figure out a color. And because uh, Vince likes color. Yeah. And so we ran like the light blue and black. And then when that didn't go, we had the, like a maroon and black. Because you had that the blue and black for a bit, I remember. Yeah. And so here I saw... On the first day, Adrian Adonis would ha- had Jimmy Hart as manager too, and he came up with all pink. It's like wow, and nobody's wearing pink. And so uh, here, Brett and I, we said, "Oh, screw it, let's do, let's go all pink," because Adrian's a Hart found uh, Jimmy Hart as a manager, so Adrian, Jimmy Hart, and us, let's all wear the pink. And the first time Vince ever saw it, he loved the color. He loved it. It really helped our career, I think, going with all pink. It became, once again, it became one of your trademarks. And that's the thing I loved about the Hart Foundation is you, there was three of you, but Jimmy had the bullhorn, Brett had the shades, you had the goatee. It's like if every guy had a specific gimmick yeah. within the confines of this, of this group. And, and I think what just hit me also, I, I, I don't know why I never thought of this, but like Brett and Jim are the first team at that around that time in that era that like were when you it's when you just said that but they they don't look the same they're not yeah that's right like brad had the long hair and jim had the flat top yeah with the rockers look similar and the that's bulldogs true. are similar yeah. and like the bolsheviks and i mean powers of pain every team demolition legion of doom every that's team a good point looked, i didn't Very ever think point. about that till you just said the trademark thing and i was like wait a minute and then 
I think that was maybe, I don't know if that was like a little thing that people didn't see, but it, but it happened where just, yeah. they were the first team at that time that didn't look the same. That's a good point. Yeah. You got two tag guys. Like the killer bees were the same killer bee yeah. stuff. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And exactly. the bulldogs were the same bulldog stuff. Yeah. And you had, the, like you said, the Bolsheviks, the Russian guys, and then you had, you know, the, there's the conquistadors. Yeah. I mean, the same and all the conquistadors. <laughs> <laughs> so when you guys came in, cause you mentioned too, you had that Calgary style and oh, yeah. who did you enjoy working with at that time? Dynamite. Dynamite. Yeah, right. The other <laughs> Calgary guys, right? Dynamite, Davy Boy, Duke Myers. <laughs> yeah, but not in WWE, though, right? Oh, WWE, yeah. yeah WWE. So Di- Dynamite and Davy Boy, like, so you had the British Bulldogs versus the Hart Foundation. That was a classic feud, but basically it's just an extension of the Calgary territory. Were you getting great reactions from the crowds in the States that had never seen this before when you guys did those matches? Yeah, because here we're working or that Calgary style, you know, mm-hmm. and people like that because it told a good story, but uh, it was a little more high, more high paced, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and all those Memphis guys where they wrestle Jerry Lawler and that whole group. Yeah. That Memphis style, they barely do anything. Right. They walk around the room with their buggy whipped arms, you know, <laughs> and uh, do a lot of walking and talking and yelling for the first 20 minutes, you know. Buggy whip arms. <laughs> all most all the Memphis wrestlers, you have to have buggy whip arms to be there. That's a great point though, because you think about it, even King will probably tell you, Jerry Lawler, Bill Dundee, uh, you know, Jarrett's the, the buggy whipped arms. <laughs> Jerry Lawler, especially. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. But uh, he's such a great wrestler and a great person, you know. Yeah. Didn't make any difference what he was. Yeah, so smart psych- psychology. Oh yeah. Psychology. He was really bright. Yeah. Really what was your relationship with Vince at that point in time? Was he an accessible guy? Could you talk to him? Was he around all the time? Oh, yeah. If I had a problem, I'd just call him. Really? Because we were so tired. You know, I was like, oh, you're going to fire me? Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm out of here. <laughs> there seems to be a theme when we're talking just about how the travel and the travel. Obviously, so was the travel something that, that, that really got to you after a while? We're flying, you're flying a jet every day. I always thought that, that the air on those planes, those jets being pressurized like that, that messes with you. Hmm. You're breathing that, that air in every day from a, from a pressurized jet. Well, it's not fresh air, that's for sure. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, you know, sometimes if you're really tired, some of them will give you oxygen. This is like the opposite. It's like you're given this, this very contaminated air. Yeah. <laughs> which would do the opposite of what you want, right? Well, you know, that's a good thing. You mentioned that, Chris, the contaminated air. Mm-hmm. See, the very first time that I'd ever worked indoors here in the calgary pavilion and uh i'm just starting i'm just trying to learn to wrestle a bit and i was you know my wind wasn't really good mm-hmm. i've never really had a really good wind you could feel it being worse indoors oh yeah all uh, oh, the smoke i couldn't handle the cigarette smoke and the oh. cigar smoke in the pavilion like oh my god who's doing that <laughs> it's like everybody oh yeah <laughs> right? oh to wrestle those smoky uh, arenas really bothered me that's another good point you've never noticed that I've never, because uh, we've here been athletes my whole life in on, in football, track and field, mm-hmm. a little bit of baseball, but uh, it's all outdoors. I used to get that, um, I worked a lot in Mexico, and I would travel back and forth from Japan to Mexico, and when I would go to Mexico City, which is super high elevated, it's higher than Denver, you would work, and then within five minutes, just be so blown up, gasping for yeah. air, tasting that. Those lungs are taste. burning. That's oh, yeah. a different feeling. And it would take a couple of days to get acclimated, but sometimes, like you just said, I'd land from Tokyo, go straight to the arena Mexico, and I would, couldn't do anything. And you'd Oof. feel like, what the hell's wrong with me? Because of the altitude, the air is so thin as well. Yeah. Plus, people smoking. 
Ugh. you know, that sort of thing. So when you started with the WWE, is right when the, the big expansion started to where wrestling became uh, a pop culture uh, phenomenon? I, so I started uh, the WWE in at the end of WrestleMania 1, kind of coming in in WrestleMania 2. Right. As were Brett and I, I think uh, we started going there. The, the famous battle royals when I remember seeing for the first oh, time. Oh, Jim, Jim, Jim has a, Jim's told me this story before about about the oh. press slam out. Oh, the, the WrestleMania three battle royal. Uh, two, two, two with, with Andre. Uh, you, you and Andre, the, you and Brett and Andre were the final three guys. Yeah. So here we're finishing the thing. I was, I was so exhausted after 18, 20 minutes in wrestling already. And then we're going to do the finish, where the finish was. This whole idea sounded really good on paper at first. <laughs> I get thrown out of the ring. I'm on the cement. So here's Brett messing with Andre. Brett runs into Andre's foot. And so I, I'm on the, on the cement, and I, I get up, and I'm looking at him. And now uh, Andre picks up Brett, and then Andre the giant uh, takes Brett over his head. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, you're too high. <laughs> I said, I can't get it. I cannot get it. You're too high. It was way, way too high. We got to reevaluate this thing. And Brett's eyeballs were like huge. He didn't know. Imagine Andre picking you up and then looking at the ground. Like, yeah, you're oh. seven feet. Press slam us another three, four feet. You're like 12 feet above his head. All at 12 feet. Yeah. I look at Brett and say, I don't think I can do it. Because the idea is Andre is supposed to throw Brett on top of you. Yeah. Yeah. But the picking up Brett over your head with Andre. How tall is that? Well, yeah. And plus, you got the ring apron, which is... Four. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so my God. Plus seven is 11 plus... Yeah, for you about 12 to 14 feet. So high. here, Brett is about 240, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're catching a guy that's almost 250 pounds coming from that high? Yeah. Oh, my God. You know, I said, well, I'll, I guess I have to try it. You know, come on. <laughs> and so here, Brett comes off and it's like, I used every bit of strength in my body to just try to stay fast. Uh-huh. And Brett hit me so hard, we we pancaked the cement really hard. <laughs> I, was like, I, I knew it was going to be like that. You're too high. You're too heavy. You're too high. Were he you, lands to a little lecture. Were you yelling at him when he landed? Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it, it was so cattywampus that uh, as soon as we I caught Brett on the floor, I just looked at him and said, are you all right? Are, are we okay? <laughs> yeah. Are we in heaven? <laughs> it, it was too high, and it was too too high impact. Yeah. After a long match, already got to but Sure, of course, of course. But it's With NFL players? Yeah. So right. it's like... Was that with the no? That the NFL player was the WrestleMania. I think it's. I think they're in that one, right? In Junkie. That one? Uh, That's right. No, uh, WrestleMania two. Refrigerator Perry and stuff. They're in that WrestleMania two Battle Royal. Well, yeah, because two was the one that came from from all three the places. Chicago, oh, right? LA. So you yeah, so you had all those NFL players in there as well. So, oh, they were a <laughs> they were a chore. They, actually, those NFL football players, they'd never been in a ring before mm-hmm. or wrestled, and uh, they were glad to get the hell out of there. Oh, I'm sure. Because you know we could all kind of do our thing in, in the ring and all that, but then you throw a giant. Mm-hmm. In the middle of that, and those big NFL football players, they go, "What the hell is this? What do we do? What do you do with Andre? Uh, whatever Andre wants." That's right. Yeah. yeah. What was he like as as a guy, Andre? Oh, he was a great guy. Yeah, he was a good drinking buddy of mine. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, you know, Andre got to the building, and uh, they would have four or five different assortments of wines and champagnes and cognac and liqueurs and stuff, and he'd go through five or six full bottles of either. 
of vodka or sangria or whiskey or all that to one time every night. So they would have it there waiting for him. Yep. So when he got wow, he'd have it there when he first got to the arena. Wow, before he had so like Brett, we're, we're wrestling Andre that night, and Brett and I are looking at him, looking at Andre, going, "Oh my God, he's drink, drank that whole bottle of Yukon Jack, <laughs> a whole bottle, it's like a half gallon size or something." Like, God, oh my God, it's like if I even took a couple of uh, good gulps of that, I'd be so drunk. Right. You go, Andre, go out there and do that, and uh, we go back to the bar. You start all over again. Man, be able to drink that much. It was a giant. I don't. I don't think. Uh, yeah, he drank from the time he got up till the time he went to bed. <laughs> and I don't think people realize too. When he's, it's such a, uh, a part of culture now, Andre the Giant. But like you see, keep saying literal giant. Like yeah. big, big Show is a giant. Yeah, he's a giant. But Andre was was. Probably, I think Andre's close to Big Show, right? I think so. I think Andre might have even been a little bit taller in his prime. Well, possibly, yeah, before uh, maybe his. He but started but you're also talking about a '70s giant where there was probably only him. Now. There's there's a few guys in the world that are bigger. Just the fact that we had two giants in yeah. our company at the same time. Back then there was one giant and that was it, Andre. Well, they had that English guy, uh, Big Haystacks. Was he an actual giant or was he just a big dude? I don't. You know, wonder. Like you talk about guys that actually have the acromegaly. That's a good question. You uh, know, he was pretty tall. Yeah, yeah, but I think the actual that that condition giantism. Yeah, the acromegaly. Acromegaly, right? Yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit about when you guys won the the uh, the titles, the tag team titles, the championship. That was a big deal at that point in time because now championships change very quickly. Oh yeah, Brett and I were really excited. Like, oh my God, we can't believe we're going to get the belts. Jesus Christ! <laughs> so we're starting off as the two out of three falls. We'll start start this match off, and Brett hits his turnbuckle really hard and busts the whole turnbuckle. Wow! And the the turnbuckle and the ropes and everything. The top of the second rope came right off. Really? Now we got to finish this match with 20 minutes of this match, two out of three falls, and we're taking the belts. It's like, now how? I said, Brett, well, how the hell can we do this with no ropes? We did it, but oh. <laughs> Not the. Uh, it was really lackluster. Who was it that you won the titles from? Was it Bulldogs? When they, when they won, it's, it's Bulldogs. Um, the Bulldogs. I think Dynamite hurt his back, like maybe month or something before so i think like Hartford nation jumps dynamite from behind and then so he's out and then i think the match is just davy against the heart foundation for oh. the most part i'm pretty sure yeah gotcha gotcha and gotcha. then they they beat davy for the titles so um the business is really expanding uh you're talking about toys you're talking about dolls which they'd never had before you're talking about uh were you involved in the wrestling album you know you're singing now you're goddamn right i'm in the wrestling album <laughs> that was a horrible day please tell us about that <laughs> oh my god all those wrestlers they have, we had all up there three or four levels of wrestler big rows you know everybody yeah what a day that was so they have you guys singing yeah land of a thousand dances and dancing <laughs> And then so here we're, we're all doing this and all of a sudden in gear. Vince McMahon comes out and starts dancing like a, a ballroom dancer. Like uh like he'd been doing it his whole life. Like he's a Vegas <laughs> showgirl or something. Going back to the stage, all the running and jumping and the dance like, oh my god, this is our promoter. <laughs> anyway, Vince can he can really dance. Well uh, yeah, even from that. How, how how is he how is he pitching this to you? Like, guys, this is what you're doing. Do your best or else, or is he like, okay, we're going to try this? Or like, how I was so tired. I was just on automatic pilot. Yeah, just go over here, do yeah. this, do that. 
right? Yeah, it's like I'm not singing, so you can forget about the singing part. But I'll dance. dance. Huh? Yeah, but I'll dance <laughs> in gear. Yeah, everybody's in gear. Let me ask you this: Fast forward a few years to when uh, when you had the gimmick of who? Oh, I really want to know what a nightmare that I was. I want to know how, what was what was that supposed to be? That was a, that old wrestling mask. I think it was Davy Boy's. It was hanging hang around the house for years. Of course it was. <laughs> Why would it be? I tried it on. I was like, oh god, this this mask thing. So I got conned into wearing that thing. And wrestling in a mask is very very hard. Oh yeah, you can't see out the sides. Yeah, you got no peripheral vision. Nothing. You can't, you're gonna look. You gotta look straight ahead, or you gotta turn your whole body between you look at somebody. Yeah, yeah, like, a, like turn your whole torso to look to the yeah, left. Yeah, exactly. Right. It, it was it was like a, it was a mask with a big question mark on it. Is that what it was? No, it just was like this yellow mask with like red. Uh, okay, but the like question mark eyes. was on the ass of the tights. S- maybe, or it was just where the. I don't where remember the, any question. Yeah, where the tights just yellow. But the, but, the, but the name was Who, so, yeah. just, so maybe there wasn't a question mark. But what is the gimmick of Who? We don't know. I was just <laughs> glad to get the, that horrible gear off me. That was horrible. So is this just because you're just, uh, you're, like you said, just kind of an autopilot? Like, all right, if you want me to wear this gimmick, I'll wear it? Yeah. You know, I'm used to wrestling in my, uh, my tights, butcher top, and trunks, you mm-hmm. know, because they're all used for support. Also, you take all that shit off. And you're just in a little pair of trunks. My God. Right. You got the big abdomen. You got the big. The yeah. Big, it's not a belly because it's not fat, but you have a big muscle. The way you could breathe in this thing, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. Yeah, the who mask we're just looking at right now. It's a yellow mask with a red eagle sort of thing on it. There you go. And you're who. You cannot. Look at the way that thing's made. There's no yeah. way you could breathe in that thing. Oh, it was it's choking a, because it's too tight. Yeah. It looks, <laughs> you can't see out of the sides. It, yeah, he's been around the house. It probably smells of cat piss. <laughs> we had a diet. Yeah, you guys died at yellow, right? Ellie died at yeah. yellow. But then, you know, when you, when you were talking about the Heart Foundation, there was the original Heart Foundation. Then there's the other version of the Heart Foundation with the five of you guys. When you're talking about Brett, Davey, Owen, Pillman, and Neidhart, which was another classic team in the WWE uh, history. Yeah, that was, that was a really good idea of them. You know, they throw those teams together a little bit. And uh, in the Survival Series... Yes, and then there uh, it was so good that you go off, you wrestle for, off your spinoffs mm. from that, you know. Tell me, like other pay per views or going on the road. Um, well, you did, you did I think one. like spinoffs of the teams, right? Is yeah. what you mean, like where you, like this guy like out of the whole group of things, yeah. like maybe these two guys, like kind of oh, like oh yeah. I think like the Canadian Stampede is like that five on five, and out of that, it's like at the SummerSlams, like Owen and and Steve Austin. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. But do you remember that Calgary Stampede pay-per-view, how crazy that was? It was in the Saddle Dome. Yeah. It was five on five. Heart Foundation against Austin. Legion of Doom. Or Legion of Doom. Yeah. Ken Shamrock, Gold Gold Dust. Dust. Yeah. Do you remember that night? Oh, yeah. Just how loud that was and how amazing that was? Oh, it was really, really loud. Yeah. It was a a great kind of uh, revitalization of of the Heart Foundation. Oh, yeah. I I can just remember one thing about that night you don't forget. When we made the hot tag. Mm Mm-hmm. We had a big roar from the crowd mm-hmm. that I've never heard anywhere yet. Yeah. It was really, really good. I can that's, what, that's basically what we all want to do in our business. That's, that's the idea of the whole wrestling thing. Yeah. Is to get that pop at the end and make people yell. A little bit in the middle and at the finish. And if you did that, you're doing your job. You're right. And to get that 
it's the uh, it's the pop that you never forget. It's like you know, it's because you know you wrestle time and time again, and there's so many matches you don't remember, but the ones that you remember that have that magical moment. That's why we do this. Like yep. every night you go to the ring, maybe tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll hit you the see, in the pavilion now in Calgary because the way that place is built, like a little miniature, miniature stadium mm-hmm. with a ceiling. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Uh, when the when that place was packed, and you get you pop that place. Oh man, that was that big. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was really huge. Well, and like you mentioned too, with the, with the Calgary Stampede, I remember the, the Saddle Dome was just jam packed, sold yeah, out. Yeah, it was during the week of Stampede yeah. too. So I mean, yeah, it was insane that day. It was a real heart, and that's all. It was kind of all new in that Saddle Dome, right? Yeah, yeah, they hadn't seen that before. Let's talk a little bit about the about the Montreal screw job. You know, oh. you, you always hear about it from Sean and Brett's perspective. But I've never heard about it from a backstage perspective, especially since now that Owen and Davey are gone, and Pillman too. So you're the one guy from a backstage uh, standpoint. What was your take on everything? I was sitting next to Pat Patterson. Uh huh. And uh, Pat and I, we just looked at this big mess, you know, this mm. big pileup, and we just sat there. <laughs> I think I managed to end up on the top after the whole deal was over. It was a big dog pile of about eight feet high of people. Afterwards, backstage? No, no, in the ring. Oh, in the ring. I think everybody's trying to grab Brett or or Vince or pull him apart or some shit. Did you run out to the... To the ring, or you were in the back because what went down was that when when okay, so yeah, the the bell rings, then kind of the pay per view goes off the air, like Sean quickly raises the title, goes off the air. Then there's been the footage, I think, like for sure, Brett's throwing the the monitors, the monitors, and Dave Owen's WCW. out there for sure. Mm-hmm. Then is it Davey and Jim, or and you is came it, out there too? I think I think they're out there for sure. Owen is out there, and I think Jim might be out there when Brett's smashing the monitors and and. Signing WCW to I remember air. being in the ring and watching Brett break everything. Yeah, mm. so Jim's out there, and then, then they go to the what, back. What was your reaction when the finish happened, though, Jim? Were you thinking, like, this isn't right, or did you know there was a screw job, or were you thinking maybe they changed the finish? Or When you're watching it in the back, what was your reaction? I was like everybody else. I was wondering, what the hell is going on here, you know? Mm-hmm. So I basically just came out and uh, kind of watched Brett's back a little bit, and that was about it. Was Brett saying anything to you? I don't think so at the time. He was pretty well... Uh, yeah. Busy. <laughs> yeah. Busy. No, afterwards though, there's also the, the, the you know, Vince went in the room and Brett and Vince had the little, you know, exchange, Brett punched Vince out. Were you in that room at the time? Or I was you... right next to him. Tell us what happened. It was like Brett sitting over one side of the locker room, here comes Vince. And uh Brett just got up and they went right into it, running a big fight there. So everybody piled on top. It was a huge dog pile. <laughs> In the dressing room. Now. Yeah, in the dressing room. There's one outside in the ring. Now it's in the dressing room. And I think I can barely remember Pat Patterson. He was like, he got stuck in the middle of it. <laughs> and he, he, I said, oh my God, Pat's in the middle of the dog play. He's almost on the ground. I said, Pat, are you all right? <laughs> Good. <laughs> right. So, so did you want to stay in WWE? Were you pissed off? Were you just a guy making a living to support your family? I was just making a living. To, yeah. You know, I was, you know. I said, you know, I don't have a contract yet, you know. Yeah, at the time, Jim's just working like a like a handshake deal. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. So he actually is on like Raw, not that next week, but maybe like a couple weeks later. Like he he joins DX, then they turn on him, and then the next week he does something else. So he he's still on Raw a couple weeks after that, before Owen comes back and starts fighting with right, DX. Like the big, the big yeah. Return right. 
because you ended up because that's when I met you in WCW. You came to WCW. I don't know if it was maybe a few months afterwards or whatever. Was it one of those things where when Brett went to WCW, he said, Jim, come on over and, and, and I'll get you a contract over here and don't worry about what's going on in WWE right now? Something like that. Yeah. Did you like WCW? Oh, yeah. Did you? Yeah, oh, I really liked it. Yeah? I've never made so much money to do absolutely nothing. <laughs> absolutely you know, nothing. You go to these things and uh, get, get paid a really decent salary and then not wrestle. It's like, wow, did, they, what, did these guys know what they're doing? I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like uh, someone telling me, I'm getting paid a lot of money just to stand here in the locker room and do nothing. <laughs> and as a, to drink beer at night. And a seasoned vet would know, like, this is not going to last. Oh yeah, we you know we all loved it. It's like you know, we better enjoy what we got. You know, <laughs> these people the WWE obviously don't know what the hell they're doing. We know that. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was thinking. Cause it was, I always noticed that because we were, you know, my group of guys with. You know Eddie Guerrero and 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 Malenko and Benoit. You guys would come in, Davey and Jim and Brett and we and, and Henning, who was great as well. And you guys were always like, "Listen, you know this place is screwed up." And for us, we weren't the seasoned vets and we didn't have the big contracts. But just watching what you guys were saying, it's like, I got to get out of here, man. I got to go to New York as quickly as possible because if Anvil and Henning and all these guys are saying this place is going down, <laughs> you know what I mean? It gave me a lot of perspective from the veteran standpoint but i'm just talking about when you're saying that they're just spending a lot of money for you to just stand around oh yeah because it wasn't just you it was a lot of guys the wcw yeah yeah right right that's what i was talking about wcw yeah never wwe but no oh, you work for the wwe they, if you got paid that money in the wwe you'd be wor- <laughs> yeah. you'd be wrestling every night yeah <laughs> yeah yeah on top right i just couldn't believe those guys in the wcw just to hang around i couldn't get over it you know yeah you, know, you put your wrestling gear on like I got my gear on. I'm at the building here. And you, you don't want me to wrestle? <laughs> Why would you have me do this? Put my gear on, sit in the locker room and not wrestle. Yeah. I remember uh, one, one time I showed up and Kevin Sullivan goes, he was the booker. I showed up for Nitro. He goes, what are you doing here? I'm like, <laughs> nothing. I guess when the booker asks you, what yeah. are you doing here? It's like, not a lot, apparently. <laughs> I guess yeah. I'll just go. So let's fast forward to now, Jim. And it's funny, too, because, you know, once again, Natty and, and TJ now, too, uh, stars in a whole different area on total divas and you've been on total divas as well what do you think of this whole reality tv thing and having a camera in your face and how is that for you after being in show oh, business for i, so I long? love it do you i have- love it you know i'm working with my daughter and, and some people you know all oh, that's really easy it's mm-hmm. easy for us because we're used to being in front of the camera and you know yeah and it's like a whole different uh it's a whole different way to have your career continue on you don't have to take bumps yeah <laughs> and they love Jim. He always is like turned on instantly and yeah. like hasn't aired yet. But like, and I never know what parts are going to air. But we did a little like family vacation last month and like Natty's getting him to try on like he puts on this hat that's like an umbrella, like on top of a hat. And like he has like no qualms about it. Why he just not? puts it right on, you know? And Why like, not? They, yeah. they love it. Jim like plays ball and like they, they love it. They absolutely love it. He, he He's turned on the second that like the camera's there. He gets it. Show and, business, man. Yeah. Sing and dance too. If oh, yeah. Wanted to. DJ and I love that. It was it was made for us. Yeah. Um, and, and also to having daughters and my one daughter, I have nine year old twins and, and she, my daughter Cheyenne. If my daughters were going to be anyone in my family is going to be a wrestler it would be my daughter Cheyenne. How was it for you? When when Natty said that she wanted, I'm to get always the last one to know everything. Really, I'm yeah. sure she's probably a little scared to tell you. Maybe. Well, you know, her her Natty, if she's gonna learn learn the wrestling business. What does she do? 
she goes to Japan hmm. and wrestles with Japanese wrestlers to learn how. Yeah. It's like, wow, wow. The women are really gonzo. <laughs> would you have taught her, though? Would you have trained her if she would have asked you to or try to help her out? I don't know. I never thought of that. But uh, the Japanese women wrestlers are absolutely kamikaze gonzo bonsai. <laughs> they, you know, they, they yeah. really beat the shit Very out of each other. style, right. Very strong style. Oh, those women, yeah, they tr- tr- kicks off the top yeah. to the floor and yeah. stuff. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I'm just wondering, like, thinking about my little girl getting into a ring where she's going to get her ass kicked around, <laughs> you know, and also, too, just knowing how, how corrupt the business could be at times. I didn't, I just, were you happy about her doing it, or was it her decision and whatever she was going to do, guess, she was going to do? I'm always the last one to okay, know anything. So had you known first, it might have been a different uh, outcome. Well, see, uh, Natty's uh, a fairly good athlete. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wish I got the girls into uh, more sports when they're in junior high and high school. Are you proud of her as, as oh, a wrestler yeah, too? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, she's definitely got the heart. Once again, that Calgary style. She's got oh it. yeah. You know, she loves it too. Yeah, exactly. Well, last question, Jim. Out of all the matches that you've had, is there one you could pick out as being your favorite match, or a couple matches that stand out for you as being your favorites? I like that WrestleMania three match we had with, uh, with the Bulldogs. Yeah, Bulldog. Was it a six? Oh, man? yeah, with Danny Davis and uh, Tito Santana, right? Yeah, I kind of like that one. That's yeah. the. Uh, I like doing those uh, six man tag or eight man tags. Mm-hmm. Classic, too, with WrestleMania 3 at the Pontiac Silverdome with so many oh, yeah. people on a <laughs> monumentous night and everything. Yeah, sold out yeah. crowd there in Pontiac. Yeah. I don't remember too many arenas that weren't sold out at that time. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that when when I first came to WWE for the Attitude Era. Oh yeah, two thousand ninety nine, two thousand. They were all sold out. Every house show, every spot show. It was so hot at the time. No matter where you went. Oh yeah, it was sold. You know. Yeah, I remember you guys coming to Calgary and it was like a live event and it was sold out. And Saddled I, up, yeah. And I was like, oh, man, I was like, man, this is this is pretty serious. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. a live event sold out here. This is pretty real. What's your favorite? Uh, do you have a favorite Heart Foundation or Heart Foundation? Moment? Um, I mean, I, Canadian Stampede definitely sticks yeah. out in terms of like, it, and it, it's almost like kind of sad, but it was really the last time that like, you know, bes- besides the ring and the crazy atmosphere, but it's also the last time the family was kind of all together right. as a unit, because after that is a screw drop. So then kind of like Owens in stays in WWE yeah. and they, they go to WCW, which. You know, Davey wasn't even there like a year. He's back. He's back mm-hmm. in '99, and and Owen's tragedy, and the family was has never, never really been the same true, since. Right? So like that, and there was a big barbecue at Stew's after because of the time difference. So the pay per view started at like five, yeah, our time, and it's only a two hour in your house. So seven, we'd have Sunday dinner normally anyway. So there was a, it was like a week long cleanup at Stew's, but there was a huge barbecue afterwards too. Mm-hmm. So like the show and the crazy atmosphere, and then it continued on over at at stews just so so it was it was was, that's definitely up there and of course you know any any bulldogs match harford nation bulldogs definitely sticks out yeah just great such great chemistry for sure for sure uh is he a good uh father-in-law uh he's great he's very he's very easy to uh (laughs) look on jim's face of course i am (laughs) expect he's funny every time he comes over he's he's like asking me about my neck and he's always He's a, uh, very easy to get along with. Like we, when we go see um, Natty's sister and her two kids, it's about a three-hour drive, and it's always the same Natty and and her mom in the back. And then I'm driving, and Jim's up front, and I just same thing as like you today. I just ask him. That's why I was able to kind of fill in on some stuff because right. I ask him a million, mystery, yeah. ask him a million like Heart Foundation questions and like wrestling demolition or like 
I hadn't <laughs> seen it until maybe Brett's DVD, but like the they do like they used to do where Brett would slingshot yeah. Jim into the ring. Yeah. But there's one against simulation where they Brett's on the apron and Jim's on the inside and he slingshots him to the floor. Wow. Awesome. Yeah, Mass Square Garden. So you did kind of like a like a tope over the top rope onto the floor under the demolition. Well, here we have the uh, we're in Mass Square Garden and we, the cameras. Uh, we went we did it right in the the hard way camera side. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a two, two out of three fall. I think it was a long match. Like oh god, I can't believe I'm actually going to do this thing after this whole match. I'm I'm exhausted. <laughs> in fact, can I do this? <laughs> I hope so. Mm-hmm. But out over the ropes onto the floor for me. Like, ooh, ooh, I hope I haven't overdone it here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you slingshot yourself over the top ropes. You know, I know it's easy for you guys, but for a heavier guy, if you happen to hook your knee pads oh, yeah. on the oh, way yeah. over, oh. you're going down. But not to mention, too, with the with the way that you're doing the cavalry, you only have so much momentum to go. Like, it's not you're going to the side. You're going you better get it, You better get it timed yeah, up. That's <laughs> right. You better get a slingshot because you're coming over head first. Yep. So so when you did it, did they did they catch you okay? It went good. Yeah, it went. Uh, yeah, Barry Darso, right? He always tells me like, oh, he's like Barry Darso. I could trust. Him. I, I wouldn't have done it with anybody else yes. except Barry Darso. Gotcha. Yeah. Once I've been wrestling with Barry, he was my tag partner, and in Florida Championship Wrestling, gotcha. he was a great tag partner. Really, it's always it's always um, a lot easier to do those type of moves, high risk moves, when you're working with someone that you're friends with and that you know. Oh yeah, you know? that's like second nature for us, you know. Yeah. I would be doing that with anybody that I didn't really, really know well. Right, really trust. And, and conversely, too, you've known TJ since he was. Did you did you know him when you were a kid? Because you yeah, always hang yeah, around the house. Yeah, yeah, and like he lived he lived down here in Tampa, but they would they would come up. Like I definitely met Jim. Like probably the latest, like maybe ninety three. Like maybe came up for uh, a show at the Saddledome, a live event. Gotcha. Or something. So you've known him since he was a kid. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you always think he'd get into wrestling? Once you hang around Sue's house enough and, and through the basement and all that, it's pretty much your destiny's cut out for you. <laughs> yeah. and, and funny enough, when Jim was um, working in Memphis as a like, talent scout, uh-huh. uh, he, he uh, so this is like 2000, I remember he pulled myself and he, uh, Teddy Hart aside and took pictures of us and wrote a little bio on us of recommending us to developmental in 2000. And, mm-hmm. he, and he's the first guy of, of all things... He told me uh, about Daniel Bryan at the time because he was in Memphis and okay. and Spanky he kept telling me about this guy Spanky and how you know he blows these kisses and it's just pretty, it's kind of weird but pretty cool and like uh, that would be Brian so, Kendrick right yeah, yeah so like exactly. he, um, he he I remember he and he'd always say it so you know if if you do end up there just remember like I was the first guy that really wrote that report so <laughs> just you know joking around but he'd always throw it out there. <laughs> Last thing, TJ, quickly, uh, how's your neck coming along? Uh, neck feels pretty good. Tomorrow I go see my surgeon for uh, my six-month checkup. And even for me, like, the time's flown. You know, I know it, six months has is, is gone by fast, but, like, even in my shoes where, like, I'm, I'm able to work out, which is uh, able to combat uh, some of the insanity of, oh, sure. of being at home. Because that's the thing. Being on the road is crazy, but then being at home for a long period of time, You know, the people time, don't too. realize how all of our necks – are very very sensitive yeah and all the bumps we're doing right falling on the cement with your head no absolutely no and, and even the, the the injury that you had i was reading about it yeah like five percent of people basically yeah. survive yeah and like two percent yeah and those that are do are quadriplegics so like natty's done a couple i won't go on but natty's yeah. done uh, like she um she filmed something with nikki for total divas and they went to a chirogenic place and um 
then Nicole said, I wonder if this would be good for TJ. And then the guy said, oh, who's TJ? And they're talking. And Natty showed him my x-ray. And he's like, um, ma'am, I have to ask, but is your husband paralyzed? Mm-hmm. And Natty said, no. And he was like, um, how? And uh, I don't know if you've met him, the heart doctor that comes and checks on us once a year, yeah, yeah, twice yeah, yeah. a year. Unbelievable memory. Like, you know, myself, Cody, we have really good, yeah, like, yeah. wrestling memories. This guy's memory is unbelievable. Like, and I remember I saw him the last time. He's like, oh, how's the mom doing up in Calgary and this and this? And I was like, man, how do you remember this stuff? Like, I understand there's probably a chart that says, like, you know, I'm from Calgary, but yeah, how sure. do you remember that I, my mom only, there's no dad? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and yeah, so, yeah. like, anyway, he was there not too long ago, and he said, he's like, oh, where's CJ? I haven't seen him today. And he said, oh, he, he, had an, he had an injury and same thing, showed him the x-ray, and he said, I hate to ask, but it, is, he's not paralyzed, is he? So, wow. yeah, the the fact that like, who, who knows, knows how how how, it survi- how I survived it? Just talking to you, we're, we're sitting on a couch, anvils across from us, and we've been looking at each other all day. And you can, I forgot that you have neck problems. Yeah, and I think I'm the uh, only guy in WWE to have the fusion this high up. It's the C1 and two. It's it's as high as it gets. And that's the dangerous. Yeah, parts, and then. Right? Um, I was kind of getting antsy in the hospital. I was in San Antonio for three days. I'm kind of getting antsy, and I, I wasn't on any painkillers. I was in discomfort, and I had the neck brace on at the time, the collar, but they'd unhooked me from everything. Mm-hmm. They'd come in my room and check my blood pressure and my temperature every couple hours, and I, they were working on, um, on an airlift to Tampa. Right. And I was said, okay, well, here's the thing. There's an airport 20 minutes away, and there's a flight in two hours, and I'm going to be on that flight. And they're like, no. And I wasn't getting belligerent by any means. It's not yeah. my style, but I was getting agitated. Right. This is day three on this. I said, I have a really nice mattress at home. I'm not – you guys are checking my temperature, and I understand. And I'm not in pain, so I don't need anything mm-hmm. here. But I'm just – I'm in discomfort. I'm just sitting here. And um, finally, this woman came in, and she was like, well, listen, you have the same injury as Christopher Reeve, but for some weird reason – not, I mean, she said, for, you know, but you, you, you survived. Yeah, yeah. And, and she's like, you should have, you know, by by the percentage of it, you should have asphyxiated in the ring and... Basically died. Yeah. yeah. And and somehow you didn't do that and you're not paralyzed. So please just understand. <laughs> yeah. And I and I was, I instantly calmed down and I said, you're 100% right. And yeah. oh, I, I'm you, I'm at your mercy. Yeah. No problem. You know, you talk about winning the lottery. Yeah. You won the lottery yeah, twice on that. Yeah. Crazy. And then even the surgery, uh, supposed to be two hours and it took four over a little over four and uh so they had to go to the back because it was like i joined the weird like broken net club and there's one advantage is like steve austin and kurt angle reach out to you all the time and and edge but edge, edge has always been yeah awesome with me from when i was in fcw so right. and what did steve text you uh so he texts me like hey you got to take care you, like hey how's everything how's that stack of dimes and in brackets he says neck yeah that's a <laughs> wrestling like, term <laughs> stack of dimes how's that stack of dimes and i'm like i know i know it means neck <laughs> but uh he, he messaged me right away and he said kid why did they go through the back of your neck like that why didn't they go through the everything's through the front i said steve it's so high up it's the equivalent of my mouth wow and then he's like oh yeah, they can't go through the front then. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even I went to the dentist like last month and they did x-rays because it was a new dentist because we moved. Mm-hmm. And uh, I totally, I'm so used to it now. I yeah. totally forgot. And they, uh, they're like, um, do you have metal in your neck? And I was like, oh, yeah, I do. Like, oh, we weren't sure. Or if our x-ray machine had messed Broken up. And I yeah. saw the thing and I was like, oh, where I had the thing I had to bite down on for the x-ray was like right aligned with like with the work in the neck. Yeah, was, yeah, it's crazy. So you're coming along and, and, and getting better, and that's... that's, that's yeah, I mean, I feel, I feel, you know, I I don't know, I don't can't explain it, but I feel I, about, I feel as good as possible. Good. 
Yeah. Good. What's the See, that's bad? coming from a Calgary boy. Calgary. That's right. Sammy Zayn has dubbed it Calgary crazy because yes. he's running the Teddy Hart and stuff, but he's watched like Brad interviews and Jim interviews, and, and he's, a, he's a student of the game. He's watched yeah. everything Zayn, but he, uh, he, he even like will send uh, injury texts back and forth because his shoulder and stuff, and he's mm-hmm. like, He's like, man, you're just Calgary crazy. He's like, that Calgary crazy, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. Like you said, it is, right, Jim? Oh, yeah, the way Stu ran us out there? My yeah. God. They uh, call us in Japan the Calgary kids. If you came from that area, I remember I saw an article in a magazine once of the Calgary kids, and you talk about an all-star lineup of guys. Well, we, I think you guys can all agree with you. All those Calgary guys had that style. Yeah, style, but that toughness, too. It's uh, Oh, yeah, the toughness, but it's that our Calgary style – has a little bit of Japanese, mm-hmm. a little bit of American, a little bit of English wrestling in it. Yeah, and just and then just. What's the thing? It's like you, right? Like you broke your arm and you still wrestled that night. Wrestled that I night, I, I tore my knee. I I was too stubborn and I made sure I wrestled the next yeah. day. I I knew I was gonna eventually get surgery, but it was like the after Christmas loop, so it's kind of like I could kind of slide by for a couple of days because of the holidays. Mm-hmm. So like I forced them to let me wrestle that yeah. next day but even with my neck i walked to the back yeah oh that's that's and that's like it's, it's just that it's just that yeah. weird it's i don't know what it, i don't know what why we're wired like that but it's just a we weird are. thing happy to be there yeah thank you guys no thank you thanks anvil thank you chris it was a blast man <laughs> thanks again to jim the anvil Nightheart and tyson kid a very rare interview from jim it was great to sit down in uh, tj and natty's house and talk calgary wrestling trade some stew heart stories uh, glad to see how well tyson's doing after his uh his uh very very uh frightening neck injury so uh, thanks to them and thanks to all of you for supporting the talk is jericho sponsors i could not do this without them or you and that includes the og sponsor amazon you can find my amazon links at podcast1.com click on the killer deals button in the top right corner of the page then hit the talk is jericho button i got amazon links for the usa uk and canada and every time you use the tij amazon links amazon kicks back a small percentage to the show to help us cover production costs all right you can buy just about anything you can think of on amazon and using the talk is jericho amazon links won't cost you anything extra no hidden fees or extra challenges just go to podcast1.com click on the killer deals button in the top right corner of the page then hit the talk is jericho button that's it you can find all my great sponsors there as well dd ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Get 15% off the DDP Yoga program plus three months full access to the DDP Yoga Now app. DraftKings. Use that promo code Y2J to play for free with no deposit this weekend for UFC 205. BetDSI. BetDSI.com. Use my promo code Jericho25 to get $25 free just for trying this uh, fine, fine betting service. Uh, and so many great uh, advertisers. Thank you for supporting me. And thanks for supporting the Jericho Network on Podcast One. Uh, we got another hit in our hands with Killing the Town, Storm and Cyrus. Lance Storm and Cyrus just have a very smart, intelligent, funny discussions about the wrestling business. Uh, Killing the Town comes every Tuesday, and it's already out of the gate as a huge hit. Uh, it's almost keeping pace with our flagship episode, uh, flagship show, Keep It 100 with Conan. Dropping new episodes every Thursday, Conan Disco and uh, KG. Very funny, very opinionated, great, great stories. And if you're looking for hilarious takes on everything pop culture, then you need to subscribe to Team Tiger Awesome. They're out every Sunday. We've got another big show in the works right now. It's not wrestling, though. It's going to be a little bit of a paranormal type of a thing, which I know you guys love my paranormal show. You love Robert Merch with the Ouija board special on Halloween. We're going to bring it to you. We're bringing in nothing but entertainment all week long. All week long. All week. All week. (laughs) Yeah. So be sure to leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes for all the shows, including Talk is Jericho. We appreciate that, and I appreciate that you're going to be listening on March 15th, 2017, when Mick Foley joins Talk is Jericho for the biggest podcast ever.
countdown rolling on and on 122 days and counting and speaking of big podcast to finish it all up on in Toronto November 20th Talk is Jericho live coming up with AJ Styles it's at the Bassett Theatre in Toronto the day of Survivor Series you don't want to miss it get your tickets at markoutmoments.com still a handful of VIP meet and greet tickets I think there's still a couple tickets left to the brunch that AJ and I are hosting at 10am and then we're going to do the Talk is Jericho we're going to have a great time uh, chatting and then you're going to ask some Q&A's get some signatures take some pictures it's going to be a huge extravaganza and then go check out Jim Ross he's got a show at the uh, at the Second City uh, Theatre a Second City uh, uh, Comedy Club in Toronto. That one starts at 2 o'clock. So it's one big day of, uh, of uh, wrestling fun just for you. Uh, you guys have been great. We, we, we love having you. And we're looking forward to seeing you November 20th in Toronto. So keep listening for the 60-second AP News headlines coming up next. And coming up this Friday, they're on the 30th anniversary of the Hell with the Devil album, Striper. Oz Fox is here. Michael Sweet has been here a couple times, but this time a little bit of a different view with Oz Fox celebrating to hell with the devil. And I'm going to check out their show November 19th, next Saturday at the Stone Pony in New Jersey. I'm excited. So if you're going to be at the Stone Pony next Saturday, come say hi to me as we watch the to hell with the devil 30th anniversary tour. They're doing the whole album in its entirety in the original costumes. And Oz is going to be here to talk about that and so many other things. Oz Fox from Striper next Friday. We're excited to have you. We're going to see you then. So stay hard, stay cool, stay hungry, and a big yeah boy. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com.